in today's episode. Um, they're just going to keep doing it, and no matter really kind of how harsh or, or harmful it is, there people are losing lives, not just large amounts of money. So I coached some soccer. I waited some tables. I did some kind of odd jobs. About fraud, oh man, we we started that Ronald Pradish and I um, in 2017. If you want to grow your career and grow your knowledge, there's lots of things. If you get into like the digital trust and safety space and the platforms and viewing videos and and harmful content and you know content moderators more, I mean they're seeing things that are awful and that is that is psychologically damaging. I am the customer. Don't don't tell me what I should be doing. Being people is not the same as being an individual contributor. They get burnt out. Help plus ask for help to kind of really summarize it. Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast, The Journey to Fraud Prevention. I'm your host Ivan. Have you ever heard about fraud.com? If yes, I have the pleasure of speaking with one of co-founder and VP at Pasabi. PJ Rojo. If not, it is great opportunity to hear a story behind it. Please join me today to hear this awesome story and discuss about very important topics such as scams and well-being. Let's begin. Поехали. Hey PJ, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm very well and I'm just really want to say say thank you for joining me today. It is a pleasure to invite you to record the new episode. Ivan, I'm, I'm delighted to join you and uh, happy to talk about fraud prevention and my experiences and anything else you want to ask me. Yeah, for sure. I usually start with a simple question, uh, fraud prevention. What is fraud prevention for you? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's very, it can be answered probably a million different ways. So you probably get a variety of answers. To me, it's about protecting consumers and, and businesses from financial harm, as well as I would say emotional and psychological. So I'll get to that latter half in a second, but financial harm is, is probably obvious. And that comes in, in many forms, whether it's identity fraud, payment fraud, and everything in between and outside. You know, the psychological and emotional components, I think of more when it comes to uh, scams and kind of manipulating folks and social engineering. And, and there's always lines on, on on where you draw between fraud prevention and trust and safety and, and 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 other ones, but there's you know I think I think scams and and protecting folks from um, not just the financial damage but just the experiences of going through fraud and and, and scams are are just a, just about the worst you can you can go through. That's what fraud prevention is to me. So it's, it's it's a big old bucket. It has lots of segments and MOs and fraud use cases underneath of it. Uh, but it's protecting uh, consumers and businesses. And it's, it's, for me, beyond just financial uh, harm. I really like you mentioned about uh, not only financial part, but also about more like scams perspective that someone calling to someone and say, I know most popular, I mean, some accident happens. Can you send over me money or could you provide some information uh, about your I know, business account or maybe your social security number, anything? And people really just like, maybe on effect or someone calls them, just really start to provide a lot of information. And it's, I don't know how to change it. It's <laughs> maybe some psychological issue, or maybe it's not an issue. Maybe it's like drive you natural. Someone say uh, one of you, I know, family member, just like 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's, it's just kind of how we're built as human beings, psychologically, emotionally, we, we respond to things in certain ways and we're much more vulnerable than we think. Of course, there's more vulnerable populations and people that we really need to protect. All of us, you know, should not be so arrogant or, uh, I guess, naive to think that we couldn't, you know, we're, we're, we're busy. We're trying to do lots of different things. We're, uh, even tech savvy folks. So, um, you know, they, they get lured into things and, and you do things you won't normally do under different emotional and, 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 and you know, states. So I think it's, um, it's super important, you know, fraud obviously, uh, has, has always been around. I think, uh, folks have learned on the fraud side that you, uh, instead of just stealing information, payment information, identity information, and taking over your account or committing payment from, you know what, why not just, um, manipulate, manipulate you to give that information up and, or to make that payment. And, and they've seen success there. And, and, and fraud is all about ROI. If, if, they're, if they're getting success and it's, it's not taking a lot of resources or investment, um, they're just going to keep doing it. And no matter really kind of how harsh or, or harmful it is. And some of these scams are, are super harmful. Uh, people are losing lives, not just large amounts of money. Yeah, that's the uh, hardest part uh, for sure. And uh, how, how long have you been in the fraud industry? Yeah, so uh, going back to 2011, I uh, got my start as a fraud analyst for a company called eBay Enterprise. Actually, eBay had just uh, purchased GSI Commerce, and uh, they helped uh, merchants. Now, they did a lot of different things, um, but fraud prevention was one of them. And so on the merchant fraud side of things, more payment fraud, some account takeover and things like that. But that's where I kind of cut my teeth and uh, learned um, in a fraud operations role, all the good, bad, and ugly about, about kind of being on, on the front lines a little bit more, which, which does vary as you, um, as you move in different areas. Uh, I grew into to different areas and product and solution providers. And I like that I, that I started there because you can kind of really kind of understand that some of the trends specific to, to that industry, but also what it's like to work in an operations-based role. It, it's tough. It's a grind. And, um, and then that gives you a little bit more respect when you're building products or selling products or building communities because you can kind of put yourself in those people's shoes. Yeah, and you know when you're working like in the fields, you're just like so exciting sometimes when you discover something or block something or even prevent something. You're just like, oh my God, I'm, I do something great. I, I feel some warm inside me just say, yeah, that's a great achievement. And minutes afterwards, yeah, another trend happens and you just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you... you... You have those moments where you're you're super excited that you did you, you feel like you made a difference, and I think that's why it connects with people because they feel they can kind of connect with the end goal of what their their job is. But in reality, uh, a lot of it is you know is a grind, and it's dealing with upset customers or you know working through the queues and trying to productivity and trying to be uh, not upset good customers while prevent fraud, and that that that's all really really hard stuff, and it's it's work and. Um, so a lot of respect for people who are on the front lines doing that work. And then when, you know, if you're in some other, uh, fraud fighting capacity, whether it's on the solution provider side or you're consulting or you're in, in, in anything, you know, you can kind of understand, okay, how are these people, what are they going through on a daily pay basis? What's, what's the reality like? And then how can, how can we help support them? 2011, a long time ago, sounds already long for me. I don't know why. Well, I mean, it's all, it's all relative, right? I think fraud yeah. prevention is a newer industry. So like, you know, 12 years, am I doing my math right? 12 years versus 25 and another, you know, it, it seems more. And, and then I, I look back to people like Frank McKenna, who I follow a lot and, and really respect and look up to, and he's been doing it since the 90s. So, you know, it's all relative. I think you should, uh, 
you know, understand and appreciate the experience and whatever expertise you have, but you, there's probably always somebody you can look to who's been doing it longer and you can learn from. Yeah, I, I don't mean to say this is a short period of time because I'm in the industry about the same, maybe like 11, 12 years, like about that yeah. one. i just curious, uh, from your perspective, what changed in the fraud industry since that? Is it any specific factors change or maybe you see exactly the same patterns came over and over? Yeah, no, I what jumps out to me, uh, there's a lot immediately is is the solution providers, the technology in the market, right? Like when I started, even even on, you know, if you look just on the merchant side, there's a handful of solutions people were using and, you know, adding in a few different data sources and, you know, but the, it, it's exploded. And and that's because the problem is so is so apparent and relevant and, and the problem's changing. So you can get into the problem, but also the technology had to evolve. And it, it's a, there's, there's business opportunities out there for people. So they're coming up with great technology to help fraud fighters, which is amazing. But um, the, the downside of that is it gets confusing on, on, on who does what and Okay, this platform and tool can help me do this, and this can help me with that that, that fraud use case. And so, you got to be able to cut through all of that to kind of realistically understand what can help you and, and with your business and the role you're in. And yeah, the, the problems on the other side. So, I, I um, some of them are you know, tried and true card fraud, and uh, you know, plenty of that still going on. Um, but when you get into things like synthetic identity fraud, and identity fraud as a whole is 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 um, it has evolved a good bit. Uh, scams, I think, have and less the fact that people are doing scams. People have always been doing scams back to when there was no digital devices or anything. But as social media platforms have evolved, as ways to basically lure and manipulate folks have, have evolved, so have have the scams because it's just a new and more effective way to get somebody to do what you want them to do. And you can scale that over time through social media, through the, you know, the romance scams, the pig butchering scams, uh, pig butchering, you know, you look at that in the last couple of years has, has really exploded. So a lot's changing. The technology is evolving. Fortunately, I think that people who are saying, hey, I want to make a career out of fraud prevention is also growing. Um, I went to college for finance and, and that's not what I'm doing now. So I think the more, um, you know, the more these we see these changes, the more we're going to need people to specialize in fraud prevention, however you define that and uh, get the skill sets, get the, you know, however you define that certification, the work experience to kind of band together and and, and fight back. Yeah, most I agree with you. It is like a lot change. The the amount of uh, fraud scale, just like if we calculate any numbers, it's like scale up to the rock. And uh, when I had this uh, chat with uh, Frank McKenna, as you mentioned, he told me like in nineties it was like something like two millions uh, annual lost. Right now it is like incredible amounts. It is like mm. super hard how it's grow. Uh, it's probably not two millions. It's probably two billions uh, because two millions are relatively so small. Yeah, definitely billions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I believe also you know we become everyone moved to online. I don't know. I, I just remember 2011. If you go somewhere and you say I want to pay by card, everyone no, we not accept cards. We just like cash, and it's everywhere. It was cash everywhere, and uh, right now if you're going somewhere, you see these labels on on the um, I know somewhere on the front door to say we're cashless and you just okay so cards everywhere you don't need to i don't remember when last time i actually using cash maybe like six months ago or maybe even a year ago yeah yeah no that's a great point in the pandemic and the shift to 
cards, which was already happening, but you know, I feel like that's, that sped it up is, is, um, you know, reflects in, in the fraud prevention and, and how you tackle it, whether it's in person or online. And the same thing with kind of the digitization of our, our society and kind of going digital with everything. It's um, that kind of sped up so you can apply for a credit card, you can open accounts, you can make payments, you can do all kinds of things online. You can, you know, find um, uh, you can, with Bumble, you can you can you meet your significant other, you, you know, so and each of those platforms prevents a different opportunity to do something bad. It could be it could be fraud. It could be something you could call maybe digital trust and safety when you get into um, scamming something or putting up counterfeit goods or, you know, so but it's there's just there's just more platforms, more ways to do these things and the more need for teams to be able to monitor that effectively. You mentioned you study finance, but why decide to join like fraud fighters and uh, what was your motivation and story behind it? You just like randomly apply and uh, start become like fraud analyst or you just like explore this opportunity what's your story behind it yeah yeah no um so my uh, gra- i graduated in 05 and actually i'm very open and i like talking about mental health so i had some uh anxiety and ocd that uh kind of derailed my my career in finance for a bit uh and i i was kind of actually just kind of coming back to square one a few years after graduating and like hey where you know what what do i want to do so I coached some soccer. I, 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 I waited some tables. I did some kind of odd jobs. And then I eventually just um, uh, applied for fraud analyst role because it seemed interesting and seemed like it would be relevant for a while, learning about fraud prevention, learning about, you know, the challenges and, and then how to solve them. Like that's that seemed like something that would not, wouldn't go away for a while. So it was very random. And I've loved uh, my time in the industry and being able to grow and kind of connect with the people. And and I think you when you talk to lots of people who've been in fraud prevention, they it, you, you get kind of like a bug for it. And, and you, you, you're doing good, which, which is great. It's a grind, which you learn if you work in any type of ops role. But there's at least you're connecting kind of with that doing good. And then I kind of found skill sets that I thought, I could kind of express myself well in the industry and kind of grow and and, and leverage uh, some more of the business skills that I that, that I that I like to use and and so it just kind of went from there. So about fraud was also an amazing thing where I, once I was able to build that that even more made it made me want to um, kind of engage with the community and keep growing my career. And let's speak about about fraud. Uh, I don't see any problem to start this straight away. And uh, could you share a bit more details? What it is about? Why you call it like that? And uh, what's the like story behind it? What's the motivation to build something like that? Yeah, about fraud. Oh man, we we started that Ronald Pradish and I um, in 2017. So it was a, r- a random connection of, of of minds. And talk about connecting digitally. We connected digitally, and the whole purpose behind it was to be a community for, for fraud fighters by fraud fighters. So we, we were, we had worked in the industry for a good, for a bit and we wanted to provide resources and educational information about lots of stuff, events to attend, podcasts to listen to, blogs to read, um, just, just lots of helpful information. And we, we couldn't create all that. We created some of it, but kind of aggregating it all in one place. So that's how, how the idea started. Um, we added solution providers in there because there was that we're like, man, we can't keep track of all these. Let's let's create a list of them. Um, not saying one's better than the other, just you know, uh, understanding who's out there. And then through LinkedIn and um, LinkedIn was great, just kind of engaging authentically with the community, you know, in our voice on 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 the things we saw day in and day out in our jobs, connecting with 
actual fraud fighters and and not trying to sell them anything or you know be promotional just to try to be helpful and that led to um our following growing and being able to do new and cool and exciting things uh as recently as this past um our first in-person conference called Fraud Fight Club and and keeping that kind of that branding around it the fraud and the fighting and and being able to um have a little energy and fun with it too, because we're all, we're all business professionals and we want to be professional and smart and kind of how we project ourselves. But we also, with a community, you want to, you want to have some energy, you want to engage with it. You want to um, really be able to connect with those people. And so it's got to be interesting, I think. And that's, that's what we're, we're always trying to do, try to find different ways to provide resources, different ways to interact with people keep them engaged during the uh, the harder times, which, you know, uh, even outside of fraud ops, it, you know, there's always going to be those harder times. So having that community of support, proactive, kind of full of energy and, and support is, is really, really important. So that's kind of where it is today. Uh, and I think, hopefully, it's actually still kind of in its infancy. I think with with the response we've had and, and you know, so many people, the whole community really makes the whole thing possible, giving us uh, lots of encouragement. We're just going to keep rolling with it. And uh, for someone who uh, first time hear about this project, how you just like, I don't know, some motivation to join this project, why it is uh, will be good for everyone who in the fraud area to join like about fraud community. Yeah. So, I mean, it's mainly, I mean, if you want to learn and connect with folks that are uh, like-minded fraud fighters, it it can help you personally in your career, hopefully. Learn more about fraud in whatever respect that means, but also, you know, be able to connect with people and grow your career and network and, you know, in a way that is hopefully interesting and educational. That's, I think, the, the reason to do it. Now, listen, there's, there's, there's certain unique, passionate individuals that we connect with who, you know, really can connect with the end mission and, and helping people from fraud and scams. And, and so some people take that to the next level and, you know, kind of commit for, for, for even uh, reasons beyond their own, you know, their own career, career things. But I think that's a, a real simple one, just to, uh, if you want to grow your career and grow your knowledge in a really cool growing industry that is making uh, an impact, um, this is a great place to do it. And we want to provide that community and platform to do so. Amazing. I don't know for anyone, I speak about myself, you sell it uh, for me. <laughs> you sell it for me, if I need to sign in somewhere, just I'm, I'm ready to do this one. <laughs> yeah, no, just, just follow us on LinkedIn, subscribe to the newsletters, no real formal um, uh, membership type thing yet. Yeah, maybe down the road. What do you believe is the hardest things to work in the fraud prevention industry? The hardest thing? There's lots of things. I mean, we, we talked about the evolving trends. Uh, that's that's definitely, you know, keeping up with that while trying to, you know, execute on a daily basis and the things that fraudsters have been doing forever. And then there's there always seems to be a newer use case. I also think working in the fraud team or trust and safety team within your company is not always the most loved area, kind of looked at as like a cost center and keeping growth from, um, you know, uh, inhibiting growth as opposed to enabling it. So I think being able to work cross-functionally can be challenging. If you learn how to do it and communicate kind of across uh, to product and sales and marketing, it, it, you can can really get a nice synergy there. But that's that's hard. Like, uh, that's hard. And, and, and kind of getting others within your company to see 
the value of fighting fraud, of fighting abuse, of fighting scams, you know, that internal selling. Um, and the last thing I'll say is, and I mentioned it before, kind of understanding the best uh, tools and technologies. Um, you know, sometimes it's it's actually a simple process or, you know, a, a very, a simpler way to, to solve your problems. And, you know, a lot of people are putting out their machine learning and you need, you know, you know, very sophisticated type solutions, which which are great. And, and some of them require that, but, you know, rules and, and processes and knowing your fraud trends and having a good, good educated fraud team is, is really powerful too. So I guess that last challenge is understanding how to piece together people, processes, technology, and data, which is, you know, simple in, in theory, but, but, but really hard in practice, especially when there's so many different tools out there and, you know, you're not, not sure, do you, do you, do you add another body to the solution? Do you, you, do you improve it with a new process? That's tricky. That's, that's a strategic part of the whole thing. So yeah, I would say that's hard as well. Yeah, a lot on shoulders of fraud fighters, but I believe it's uh, on everyone's shoulders a lot. You just need to be professional everywhere and uh, not only in specific areas, speci especially if you want to like uh, grow somewhere, maybe like in different positions and maybe different layers. You need to just put more and more on your shoulders and one day it's going to be easier. Maybe not. It uh, really depends on the industry, company, uh, how you feel about a lot of things and especially Nowadays, when everything changed so fast, yeah, I, yeah, you really need to be up to date. Yeah, and it's hard not to get overwhelmed. I think that's a big part of it is taking a breath and like not um, feeling like you need to keep up with you know this. You know, everyone's buying this uh, technology. Or everyone's doing you know the, yes, learn from your peers. That's a really important part of it. But you kind of got to understand your business, your products, your you know Bumble is not the same as a, a merchant. That's not the same as a bank. Is you know so there's and and the vulnerabilities will be a little bit different too, and the budget you have will be different, and the uh, how big your trust and safety your fraud team is different. So you got to kind of um, take a step back and, and make sure it's. Uh, you're not getting too overwhelmed with what everyone's doing and understand how to do it for your specific business. Make sure you're measuring the losses and or uh, impacts to your business so you can kind of get support and funding to, to solve this problem and articulate it in the right way. We talked about that kind of across industry, but or excuse me, across the department, uh, but within the department, like, like, you know, it's a business in the end and you got to be able to kind of communicate what are the problems? How are we going to invest in stopping this? And so, so yeah, it, it, it's tricky, but uh, there's a lot of people out there that are doing it well. Thank you for mentioning well-being. Uh, I believe it's also very important. I have a kind of, let's call it joke, but it's not really. Uh, I have a friend of mine who work in the cybersecurity uh, in one of the banks um, back in Russia. And when we have a call with him, like maybe once a month, I ask him how he's doing. And time to time, he responds to me in a way, for the past months, I only wake up at night only two times. So it's great. Uh, two months ago, I wake up for like 25 days. So something yeah. broke every night. So yeah. I don't know. I told him, you know, how you survive for this company for seven years already? I have no ideas. Like yeah. wake up every night and do some stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's that's front lines at cybersecurity, but in fraud ops, there's people working weekends and more into the evenings and stuff because there's, you know, all this stuff is always on, and we want we want to automate it and say, hey, these are, you know, decline this transaction, not don't approve this application, but like it's in the end, there's always a manual component, uh, even from an investigative standpoint, you know, a batch that always is kind of a gray area. It's got to be it, you got to get some eyes on it, some some human eyes, and. 
And so that puts people in, in, in long hours, or maybe you're not on the, on the manual review side, but you're uh, in charge of, you know, escalations and something breaks and it's, it's a peak holiday time and everyone's shopping. And so like there's, that's where the front lines kind of all hands on deck type fraud fighter role is that that's where it lives. And it, it's not easy. Uh, it varies company to company. I think what the biggest thing there is you got to take care of your fraud fighters. You got to support them in, in a variety of different ways because that can be draining, right? And then you you burn people out and um, you don't have some great talent within the industry. So however that looks for your company, um, that support, if, if, if they're working longer hours, if they're working crazy hours, if they're, then we need to provide it. And, and one step further, you know, some of the, if you get into like the digital trust and safety space and the platforms and viewing videos and and harmful content and you know content moderators more i mean they're seeing things that are awful and that is that is psychologically damaging so um you know supporting them from a mental health standpoint and you know i uh, on this on on the side of uh, about fraud and my full-time role at pasabi i support mental health a ton and my advocacy for it is one of my passions. And so I do like when that overlaps with the fraud industry where I can be more proactive about it. It, It's scam victims, but it's also the people who are trying to prevent these people from seeing awful videos and, and, and harmful content and stuff. So yeah, I think if you, if you don't prioritize those things, you're kind of ignoring the fact that not everyone can kind of handle that for a, an extended period of time. And it can be the, the real bad stuff that, that I'm talking about. Maybe, oh, it's just crazy hours and I, I never get to sleep. But that's that's bad, too. Like, that's that's not sustainable. And, um, you know, it obviously is hard on the person. But then you also lose, you know, valuable employees that way. You mentioned a lot of the things. And. It's one of my questions. Uh, it's going to be about like how to be mentoring fraud prevention. You mentioned uh, it's a well-being to make sure that your team is right. Make sure that uh, you know the tools, you know the patterns, you understand how to manage all these things together and uh, everything going well. But we return to this one in a bit. I'm quite curious. Have you ever been a victim of fraud? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think... I would be surprised if anybody you asked that question hadn't been a victim of fraud, simple, you know, card fraud. And fortunately, it's been the less um, impactful types of fraud in the sense that I've, you know, been able to get my money back and get a new card and I move on with my life. I think as as you understand fraud more and as you, you know, you work in the industry like us, there's there's that. And then there's, you know, I get scammed out of uh, life-changing amounts of money. Uh, that I don't get back. And I also experienced emotional and psychological damage. And, you know, so there's different spectrums, I think, of have you been a victim of fraud? And fortunately, I've only been a victim of, you know, payment fraud. That's great. great. That's really great. It's uh, very important that it only happens from that kind of perspective. Yeah, the card can be compromised everywhere. And uh, specifically when you're out somewhere and try to do cash from ATM, most of the time it is easiest way. It's still very active. So I believe you're really in a Dutch way that you only scammed uh, from the credit cards. It's just like, I would say not really impact. Probably not the right words, but what I meant here that's if you be in situation when someone stole your identity, it's going to be much worse. It's I don't know how the people survive after that. So I, I saw this story all the time. Someone stole your identity and you don't know about it. And after half a year, you start to get all these calls. 
I don't know. So people really, how to survive after that? It's a really great question, which yeah. I don't have answered. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, I didn't even mention identity fraud, but that's, you know, there's some times where you can go on and check your credit report and, and you see things that are not right and you get them deleted and you're able to move on without them, you know, more things being opened under your name and all these kind of, you know, identity fraud that gets taken to the next level, I guess. And, you know, synthetic identities are being used, uh, they use kids, kids identities and uh, social security numbers in the US. So there's varying layers of that and how you can move on from it. You can you know, some a lot harder than others. And it, it's stressful, right? Like you're trying to live your life, you're trying to do, um, you're not, it's, it's really of no fault of your own. Of course, you need to keep up good, uh, good practices and, you know, pass, passwords and, and how you, your own kind of hygiene on how you, how you manage your data. But a lot of this is from breaches and stuff that is uh, out of your control. So, it's um it's frustrating uh, it's frustrating even when you just have fraud in your card and you, you know oh, that, that's frustrating that card is linked to a, an automatic payment that, that is always made oh i gotta go do that so like it's just it's just a spectrum right and i think the more um i guess consumers can stay vigilant themselves especially with scams and scam education is huge keep perspective like if you do have card fraud like like it can be a lot worse and um while it's tough like you know do what you got to do and kind of um uh, handle it the best you can and, um, and, and help, help and educate others, right? Like if it hasn't happened to you, uh, if you hear a few of these stories, you'll quickly want to make sure the, the real bad stuff doesn't happen to, to your loved ones and kids and, and friends and family. So, and sometimes that's just sharing a story and with about fraud, I know we, we preach to a lot of the community that already knows about these things, but that that's big, the education piece. And we got to be able to, for the, for the worst types of frauds, the things that we can, have somewhat of an impact on like scams. We, we got to get that education out there in a way that people care. Like when my bank texts me and emails me, I, I might not even open that email, like to say, you know, look at, look at these, these, you know, it's great that they're doing it, but like there's, uh, there's gotta be other people and mediums and influencers and, and people talking about this in a way that kind of connects to people. Cause like things like scams, you're so emotionally tied into whatever is going on that an email you received three months ago or a, a text you said, you know, you know, don't share your OTP with, you know, that doesn't always register, right? So we got to figure out a way to, to have it register and, and on, on a grander scale. Because in my opinion, scams, things like pig butchering, they're, they're a societal um, problem, a societal crisis in some cases, when you really look at the scale of some of these things, and they need to be treated like such, you know, there's so many challenges if you're looking at like societal crises right now. So it's not to minimize any, any other ones, it's, this needs to be elevated, um, I think, in the public scale, and, and you need people who will listen to <laughs> more than just me and, and us and podcasts preaching about this and kind of rinse and repeat and get, get that message out there because that's when people will maybe snap out of some of these more sophisticated scams where they're basically in like a, a trance kind of about to do these things. I mean, you have some fraud prevention teams that are like, no, this is a scam that they actually catch it. And they're like, you, we don't, you shouldn't be doing this. And they're like, I am the customer. Don't, <laughs> don't tell me what I should be doing. So like, like when, when you're at that level of manipulation, you know, this isn't just uh, your average fraud. So I know I went off a bit of a tangent there, but it just got me thinking. 
Yeah, you mentioned a lot of important stuff. I don't know. We're probably going to be uh, in this level of everyone awareness. From another perspective, as more people know, it's maybe even worse in some scenarios. Uh, but in some areas, uh, I'm really happy every time to see emails from my bank that's look, uh, we see some suspicious activity, please be aware, it's not us, we're not sending emails, we're not call you to ask you uh, bank details, we're, we're not doing it like that. Uh, every time if someone call you, it is not hard to answer, I'm not able to answer right now, I will call you back. If it's any organization, it's understandable. If yeah. it's Foster's, they never call you back, so. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and all the and listen, all those tips and stuff are good, and and it, it prevents a certain amount, and and you kind of learn like, oh wait, my bank wouldn't do this, and and that stuff's great. It's it's unfortunate, like we're getting to the level though with um, generative AI and the sophistication of some of these things. It, it's like it it really does appear to be this this person, you know. So like it's it's um it's like how do we how do we get to the next level of education that that goes beyond because you're never gonna, i mean you're never going to stop all the scams um but the challenges are are getting to a point where um the simple education messages aren't aren't always working don't even apply to things like deep fakes and you know using gen ai in those ways so like that, that those are those are the things i guess that, that that scare me more but we yeah we we at the very least need to keep doing the, the more um traditional things because at least it helps a little bit, right? 100%. About our career in fraud prevention. So what do you believe is necessary to jump from core or senior position to become a manager? Because I'm looking at your career, you started, as you mentioned, like fraud analyst, and right now you're in uh, VP of strategy, if I'm not mistaken. So how you achieve this position, and maybe you can give a bit of tips to people who listen to us, what is necessary to this jump from IC to be manager? Yeah. So <laughs> it's a good question. It really, like when you're talking about like fraud operations, going from an analyst to a manager, I think a lot of that is about performing well in your current role. Uh, a lot of it's metrics driven and, you know, for better or worse. So get uh, doing well, you know, catch, yeah, uh, understanding how to um, investigate uh, orders, transactions, applications, whatever, whatever it is you're doing, um, perform well from a number standpoint, but also go above and beyond and help other people. Like, even if it's not going to be reflected in your numbers, like learn, learn about the industry, help others, connect with others. I think that's, those are skills that people look at and say, Hey, this person is not just here to, you know, help themselves get their numbers, clock out for the day. They they really are invested in this, and and that's when you when you're going to manage a team. They want they want somebody who's who's invested in it. And and then when you become a manager, I mean, managing people is not the same as being an individual contributor. You got you're managing different personalities and people and trying to grow them in, in their careers. So that that's a different skill set. So you know, learning learning that however you can. Obviously, the the first managerial job you have is is probably the, the one where you really cut your teeth, but you can talk to other managers, talk to people who have managed people and learn um, tips and tricks because it's they're, they're different skills than executing on a daily basis. Now, if you're talking about, you know, my career is, is, is a bit wonky in the sense that I, I, I worked my way up in, in fraud ops and then on the side decided to build about fraud. And then I moved over to the solution provider side and did something called a fraud subject matter expert. Um, and then kind of moved into, stayed on the solution provider side and kind of leveraged my understanding of working in fraud ops to help 
people understand the fraud technology for the company I was working for and kind of evangelize and, and understand the different use cases. So, you know, that's a, that's a different path. I think it's actually, uh, well, less wonky now because there's lots of, lots more, uh, folks that are moving over to the solution provider side, but that's, I guess the point is you don't, you don't have to go that way. You can stay within the bank or the merchant or the dating app that you're, you're working for. And, and and move from manager to i guess you know like a director into vp heads of trust and safety and and a lot of that is probably the same advice from moving from analyst to manager you you're you're going to be doing less of the executing your tasks and more of the helping others grow as a manager as a vp as a director and helping the business grow from a strategic standpoint you just you need to think kind of in different ways uh, about growing the business, the overall company, really, and and strategically, how are you going to leverage tools, technology, people, and processes to do so? And that's that's a much more strategic view, and that's less of going into the queues and clearing them out and kind of doing your day to day work. It's more of you know how do you get your team to do that and do it effectively. So you know that's kind of one path, staying within a one of those fraud fighting organizations. Mine went over to the solution provider side. Um, which was one. And then there's like a million others that that are growth, you know, career trajectory growth. So like you might want to go into consultancy and and and, and be consulting or, or an advisor. That's a that, that's a step up. You know, it, it's, it's moving in a different direction and you're 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 a consultant. Right. So like I think the exciting part is you there's lots of paths. If you want to keep being in fraud op, ops, great. If you want to manage people, great. If you want to move to the solution provider side, great. If you want to be more of a technologist and go into data science because that's what fires you up, awesome. Like, like there's just lots of different paths, and and that's that's been a you know something I've seen. You know, I I found where where I where I excel, and uh, but don't think you you know it, it's just one thing in fraud prevention, and don't think just being a manager or a director is just one thing. It can look a lot of different ways, and our industry is evolving just like the fraud is evolving, right? So like there might be opportunities in 10 years that I don't even know about now, or you don't even know about now. So just keep learning a ton, performing well in your role and, and try to define, you know, the path that you want to take. Great advices, really great advices and a lot of opportunity here. It's true and uh, a lot of roles and uh, I don't know how many titles you have nowadays. It's a thousand of them. So everyone choose their, their own career path. Let's say you target to fraud prevention. Where are you going? Do you have any retirement plan or maybe some ideas that you really just like waiting for a moment when you're just like, I'm done with spam fraud, uh, with not spam fraud, I mean this fraud prevention, and you jump and I don't know, start to selling cars somewhere. If you're asking if I have any retirement plans, not in the near future, if my two sons and wife and every other thing have anything to say about it, you know, I, know I have, you know, I'm, I'm 40. I have lots to do and lots I want to do, put money aside. Like I, there's a lot that I'm passionate about with about fraud with my current role with Pasabi, which I'm so excited about been with them for about six months and the, the work they're doing uh, with scams uh, and fake accounts is awesome. And I, I feel like that technology can can actually make an impact. So from a personal kind of standpoint, there's a lot I still want to achieve 
with, uh, you know, about fraud with companies I'm working for that I really believe in. I have lots of time for better and worse. It's a great field, right? Like you got to find where it fits for you. It's still work. Like, it's not like you're going to go in and be like, oh my God, every day is amazing. Uh, you might have the exact opposite, <laughs> opposite thought many days during certain periods. But like, you know, I think the key is um, finding where you fit, obviously what you're good at and your skills, but also what you can get passionate and enjoy like, like, like you don't need to be, you know, cheerleader. Oh my God, this is the most amazing thing in the world, but like what you can get behind and have a purpose. Cause like that will help you during those harder times that will help you when you're like, man, I'm at the dead end, dead end of this path. Uh, how am I going to get to there? Like, I think, and that probably goes for any, anything outside of fraud prevention too, but I really like this industry because those opportunities are there, right? That where I see people get stuck is, they get burnt out. They get uh, feeling hopeless like this is, you know, and I think, it, you know, the people that I've seen push past that are the people who have had that, you know, I found this and, and man, I'm really good at it. And I, re I really like when it when it goes well and I have an impact. And and those people will just naturally excel. So I, uh, you know, I think for most people who are listening to this, it's a retirement is is. Oh, on the horizon, or is not on the horizon, is what is, is away. If, if, if it's on the, if it's, if it's coming soon, congratulations. But, uh, you know, I think whenever that time comes, me, you, somebody else, we, uh, will also be happy that we look back on a career of fraud prevention and, 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 and the impact it's had. There's lots of great careers out there, but I, I know, you know, looking, being able to look back however long, 20 plus years from now, I can see the impact I've had that at the very least can keep you going. Yeah. Uh, just a few slash a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah, it is uh audio podcast and uh, people might not see how I shaking him, my head a lot. Uh, <laughs> but what I'm doing actually, yeah, uh, it's far away. I hope it's far away for a lot of people. I know when I thinking about like doing something else, I always uh, return to the moment as I feel good. That's what I'm doing uh, with the fraud prevention because I prevent something. That means someone not gonna be scam from the credit cards. It's Definitely, a great feeling. Yeah, yeah, that's what life. I mean, yeah, we and we got to make money and we got to do all the things to support ourselves. But like, like that's um, you know, when work's done and whether that's for the day or for your career, like that's you want to be, you know, you want to be able to look back on those things or, or, or think about those things and have a sense of pride. And while not, while not also being naive that, um, you're gonna, you know, catch every bad guy and, and, you know, like, like that's not the point, but like, if you can have a, a, an impact, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be shutting down massive organized crime gangs or being frustrated that, you know, well, yeah, yeah, I blocked this card, but that person's just going to try somewhere else. Great. Well, you protected that company that, individual in that instance and that matters and i think yeah that it, exactly yeah exactly what you said actually i don't have any other questions but gonna ask you do you have any last advices for the people who looking for to be to join a career path or maybe who's struggling right now to sitting to work in uh, on the day shifts and fraud prevention yeah yeah, and I think actually you inspired this advice because thinking ahead of this podcast, I put up a post today that just said help plus uh, ask for help. So basically the idea is helping people and asking for help. Have Like if I had to summarize two of the biggest things that have helped me in my career 
it's those two things which are like, what do you mean, help people and, and then ask for help? How, how, how important can that be? And, and how hard can that be? Well, it actually can be really hard. So a lot of people are, as you go through your career, will we'll ask for help and immediately we're like, oh, I don't have time for that. What's in it for me? Blah, blah, blah. You know, of course, not everybody does that all the time. They help. We're not all bad people, but it can be really hard. But the two things, help and ask for help. Helping people when there's no strings attached and there's, you know, you're just doing it because you want to be helpful and a good teammate or a good, you know, good person. Like that over time, over many people can build a lot of trust. And that's really helpful in lots of ways when you're growing your career. Not to mention, you'll probably learn things from those people when you're helping them. So from a career standpoint, that's just helpful. And you don't have to be, oh my gosh, I'm the biggest extrovert and I, I, I love talking. Like, I understand there's, there's barriers to, to, to certain things for certain people. I personally suffer from anxiety and OCD. And, you know, so, so there's, there's challenges that, 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 that I have. But like, if, if you're willing to help people with no strings attached, and network and be out there. And then that's, that's amazing. And, and that'll give you opportunities and you'll learn things that you, you didn't expect. And you'll feel good that you help somebody. Hopefully the ask for help is like, you're, you're not you, but not me, just everybody we're, we're living in our own little bubbles. And so we, um, the industry is a lot bigger. The, the opportunities that the things to learn out there are a lot bigger. So just expanding that and, and asking people to learn from, to network with, kind of getting back to just kind of pushing outside of your comfort zone, doing a podcast. Like not everyone just starts a podcast like you, like that's a big step. So doing it, and it looks different for every single person and personality. And, and you, it doesn't have to be massive if it's very overwhelming to you at first, but like reach out to somebody you're like, you know, somebody you're like, why would I, they, they don't want to talk to me or, you know, they won't answer my question, but take a chance and, and, and do those things. So asking others for help, uh, whether it's networking or, Hey, I, I'm having this problem in my, um, my, my day-to-day -day work. And you seem to really know what you're talking about when I see your posts or whatever it is. And that can inject so much life into your career and so much, opportunities down the road. It's not going to be immediate. It's not like you just help somebody and amazing things happen. And uh, you shouldn't ex expect that, frankly, if, if you're helping somebody. But over time, repeat and rinse. And within a time, within a, a reasonable expectation, you know, you, you have your job to do, you have deadlines to hit you, you know, don't, don't go out there and just start networking and helping every last person. But like, oh, that's, you know, done, done over time, though, that's, that's um, really impactful. And uh, especially in an industry where you meet a lot of the same people, you kind of bump into them at conferences. I think that'll go a long way. And, you know, you'll be learning tons in the process. So help plus ask for help to kind of really summarize it. That is maybe non-traditional not, uh, advice, but I, I think at least for me, I only speak from my personal experience, has been super, super helpful. Amazing. I'm going to leave in reference to the post that you just mentioned. For everyone, please look in, in the description uh, to this episode. I know it happens a bit uh, later on uh, after the post, but I hope uh, everyone also return and read it because uh, I believe it's very important what you mentioned here and uh, we, we need to be more polite to each other. That's like what the people, what the happens in the world nowadays we just need to change it i don't like it yeah yeah polite is a great start and, and like listen it doesn't mean like you're just going to get along with everybody i mean everybody's got people that are just 
harder and and like that's real life that that's real life so you got to find uh spots to to just amp up your uh your your helpfulness game and uh and then don't be afraid to ask for help from from other people and you might get the i don't have time i'm busy because they're not willing to help so okay move on to the next person Uh, be respectful be reasonable with the type of things you're asking not like hey can you do this whole thing for me you know so uh, there's lots of qualifiers and, you know, different circumstances people have. But uh, I think the, the reason probably people don't do those things is because they don't seem like they're that important. It's like, oh, what if I help this person? What if I don't ask for help? Like, whatever. And it's not comfortable, right? We're comfortable in our own little uh, routine. So when someone's like, hey, can I help? You're like, ah, that's no, like, no. Or um, I could just ask that person for help, but that's... I don't know them. That's uncomfortable. Like, so you just don't do it. And so I guess it comes down to pushing outside that comfort zone. And believe me, I know the joys of feeling comfortable and not anxious. I I thrive for those, but you know, that's not always life. Uh, Your feelings don't always tell you the, 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 um, what's going to be most helpful, uh, which might be, you know, doing that presentation or reaching out to that person. Your feelings are uh, false indicators sometimes. So, so yeah. Hopefully that was helpful. Jay, thank you so much for joining me today. I believe I have a issue with my neck because I uh, <clears throat> shake my hand a lot. Uh, and I say, yeah, how I agree with you. I know people might not see this one, but this is what actually happens. And I started feeling that uh, I said too many yes uh, with my head. So. There you go. <laughs> You're strengthening your neck, I think, in that way. <laughs> Going to practice more. There you go. For say more people to say, yeah. And uh, thank you everyone for listening to this podcast. It's more and more episodes in the pipeline. I'm working on them. Please don't forget to follow podcast and share with your friends and the network. And uh, I'm going to say my final words that I say in each episode. Cut. There we go. Cool.